Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester here with Sati Argabright, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 66, where we are talking about The Mango Bride by Marivy Sullivan and The Astonishing Color of After by Emily X.R. Pan. And today we are joined by a special guest, uh, Fran Del Rosario. And if you heard our previous episode, episode 65, where we tee up this month's theme of Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month, um, we really wanted to invite Fran on the discussion episode today. Even though we've never had a guest on the uh, discussion episode, Fran is the first. So we can uh, all have shouts for Fran <laughs> for um, adding her to the discussion. But we really wanted to invite her on this episode of the podcast as well to discuss the Mango Bride because she is also a Filipino immigrant. And we wanted to talk about some of the perspective that she has to offer on this book as well, especially since she recommended it to me. So welcome, Fran. Uh, Welcome back, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) No, Sachi, thank you for letting me join in. And thank you for selecting one of my favorite books as the discussion book for today. Absolutely. I I knew immediately after I read it, we had to talk about it on the podcast. So I'm super excited that you're here today. Again, as we said in the previous episode, we are celebrating uh, Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month by discussing books by and about Asian and Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Previous episode, we discussed six awesome picks from myself, Kendra, and Fran. And so today we're here to just um, The Mango Bride and The Astonishing Color of After. Yes, and I'm really excited to talk about our two discussion picks today. And I think, you know, there's been a great conversation about own voices reviewing happening over on Bookstagram. And so I think that's very important for us to do today on this episode. So I'm very excited that we have both picks that fit into that category uh, for you both to discuss your own experiences of. Um, And so today we are going to be looking at really the characters' cultural experiences in these two novels and looking at uh, just what that looks like and having Sachi and Fran share their experiences a little bit and just approaching the books from that perspective, um, which is something a little different. I don't think we've ever done this before, so I'm pretty excited to talk about these two picks today. But before we get into the discussion of this episode, I want to correct something that I said in our last episode. So based on something a bookseller friend told me, I said that Gina Apostle's Insurrecta was a debut novel. It is not, so I apologize for saying that incorrectly. Uh, She has actually been writing books for a while now and has a very nice backlist. So I will link her author page on Goodreads down in our show notes so you can go see all of those books. Uh, And it's really lovely that she has all of these books because Insurrecto is something really special. All right, that's it for that. And Sachi, you have our first pick. Yes. So again, our first pick today is The Mango Bride by Marivy Sullivan, and this is out from Berkeley Publishing Group. And just as a quick recap, in case you missed it in our last episode, um, our first pick is a dual narrative featuring two women from the Philippines, Amparo and Beverly. And while um, Amparo hails from a more privileged upbringing, Beverly comes from the working class. So we really talk about the differences and the large gap between both of these characters' economic backgrounds. The two backgrounds are the two stories are loosely interwoven, and both women end up um, emigrating from Manila to Oakland, California. And um, even though each 
individual takes a very different route to get to the U.S. Their lives end up colliding in a very unexpected way, and I'm really excited to discuss this. So again, like we highlighted in our previous episode, um, there are some very heavy subjects in the book, so trigger warnings for gun violence and domestic violence and um, forced abortion. So again, like we said, today we've got Fran on the podcast. She not only gave me this awesome recommendation for the book, but she's a Filipina immigrant herself, so we wanted to get her perspective on the book. So Fran, what are some of your initial thoughts from The Mango Bride? So as you know, I loved The Mango Bride. Um, <laughs> so I am a Filipino immigrant, but I think before we even jump into the discussion, it's important to highlight that I came here as a child compared to the two ladies in the book who were adults when they emigrated to the U.S. And I just say that to set the stage that everyone has a different immigrant experience, and I'm not trying to be the mouthpiece of anyone's experience other than my own. Even in the book, there's two women that are around the same age when they come here. They're from the same country, yet their immigration experience is very different. So with that said, I loved the book. It's one of my favorite books. One thing that I really loved about it is that it contrasted the lives of two very different women. I think you hit on it in your brief summary, Sachi, is that, you know, Amparo is from a very affluent background and Beverly is poor. So they come to the U.S. for different reasons. And I think the book does a great job of showing that not all immigrants are created equal. Yeah, you're totally right. I feel like we'll, we'll talk about class uh, a little bit later on in our notes, but I feel like even though these characters are very closely related just by some of the relationships um, of people that they know between them, it is very interesting that they both kind of end up in the same situation of moving to the United States. I don't want to give away anything, but it turns out that they become more reliant on each other than anyone could ever realize. And I think, Fran, you discussed with me previously just about the Philippines in general, and we just both loved the descriptions of Manila in this book. Um, I think we highlighted that a little bit in our previous episode, but at least for myself, I've never been to the Philippines, and some of the descriptions of the food and the weather with all the rain and the parades and celebrations, I felt like I was there. Do you think that the book really was uh, an accurate depiction of Manila for you, and did it really remind you about your time living in the Philippines? Yeah, actually, that is my favorite part of the book. I felt like the book really transported me to the Philippines. As an immigrant, I often find myself searching for things that take me back home. You know, so whether it's food, movies, or even books, I look for a sense of home, um, let's say, in the books that I read. That kind of feeling is intangible, and it's very difficult to describe. You just know when you find it. And so when I picked up this book, I really felt like I was being transported back to the Philippines. And I would agree with you, a lot of things that were mentioned in the book, like the weather, the food, the festivals, did bring up a lot of imagery and did transport me back home, but even more so the intangibles that are harder to kind of put a face on it, like the dynamic between the household help, the relationships between the people, I felt that 
Maravi did a really good job just bringing all those things home and and presenting it in a way that was relatable to me. And so I really enjoyed this book and I don't often reread books, but this is one where I sometimes pick it up to reread it just to kind of be transported. It's like seeing a movie that you've seen a million times, but because it invokes a certain kind of feeling, you want to bring it back. And so that's what this book does for me. And I think I believe, I remember you saying that, I think this mo- this book is going to be made into a movie, correct? Yes, yes. So I don't know the dates of when things will be released or anything, but yeah. I think about last sometime around last year, Murray V announced in her blog that this book was actually picked up to be a movie. So it's going to be a Filipino movie with English subtitles. That's awesome. I feel like I feel like if they you know, at least take the descriptions of Manila from the book and just if they can convey that in a movie, I just felt like I was watching a movie, but it is a weird experience. Like you're reading a book, but you feel like you're, it's so descriptive and immersive. You feel like you're watching a movie and you feel like you're actually there. And I think that will translate really well to, to the big screen. Yeah. I am so excited for the movie. Yeah, that should be good. So we, you just mentioned talking about the differences between Paro's background and Beverly's. Class and p- privilege is such a central theme in this book. And since they both come from economic, different economic backgrounds, there are a lot of instances where some of the privileged characters are kind of invoking that privilege and potentially like trying to silence or keep keep some secrets that they want to keep hidden from others and kind of telling the underprivileged characters like, Hey, I have this power over you and we're not going to, we're not going to tell so-and-so about this. And I thought it was really important that the author highlighted this in the story. And I think when we talked previously about this book, just when you recommended it to me, you had mentioned that the way that she describes class and the upper class versus the lower class really is resonated with how your experience was in the Philippines. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so what I really liked about this book is that, as we mentioned, it's two women. It's a dual narrative, but the perspectives of the two women are very different. So in the Philippines, there is really not much of a middle class. You are either upper class or you are lower class. The middle class, virtually non-existent. The wealth divide is huge. Um, And so in this book, I really appreciated that Marivi highlighted the upper class perspective in Amparo and then the lower class perspective in Beverly. And I think it's worth mentioning as well that in the Philippines, especially in Manila, it's not like in the United States where just it's geographically large. The Manila is very population dense and there isn't a lot of space. And so even if there's this large divide between the upper class and the lower class, oftentimes the two classes exist in the same space. So to contrast that with America, where I don't see celebrities here in America, I don't know where they hang out, I'm just not a part of those spaces. But in the Philippines, when I return, sometimes I see celebrities. And it's because the space, you you move around in the same space in the Philippines, regardless of your class, but your experience navigating those spaces are different. So let's say maybe you're in the mall together. You're occupying the same space as the celebrity, but you're not buying the same things. And so I think this book is great in that it shows that two people 
can have very drastically different upbringings, but then both of these women exist in the same space, but experience that space in a very different way. Yeah, that's true. I didn't realize when I first read it that there was that large um, gap economically in the Philippines. So it almost acts like this, you know, we've got this dual narrative with these two characters and the two characters as individuals are very different, but it's almost like the author is speaking to these two very different classes um, and having a dual narrative from that perspective that are told through these two individuals, which I think is really neat. Mm-hmm. I, I really like especially the dual narrative part of it. Just as we tie up um, our final comments on this book, um, I wanted to also just quickly highlight that even though this book covers some pretty heavy topics like class and privilege and immigration, I will also say that the, just this book really packs a punch, though, in some of the drama. Uh, so I don't want it to seem like extremely uh heavy and serious, there are a lot of um, really interesting things that happen. And it almost kind of feels like a soap opera, but not like in a, in a bad way or a cliche way. Yeah. But even in like the last quarter of the story, like it really ramps up and you like, I could not stop turning the pages. So it, even though we, this book really covers some very important issues, it's also just a really awesome, quick paced read that I ended up getting through the book a lot faster than I expected. I don't know if you experienced that um, as well, Fran, but I really liked it from that perspective. I, I definitely think it's a page turner. Yes. Absolutely. I think, you know, with the way we describe it, we're focusing on the things that, you know, we felt a connection with, specifically me, the scenery, being transported back into the Philippines. But, you know, this book is appealing really for anyone who likes a fast-paced, engaging narrative. And at its core, that's what it is. It's a fast-paced, engaging narrative that focuses on the perspectives of two women with different backgrounds. And so if that is appealing to you, Absolutely. And if you you. love food, um, which I know we've done, we've, we've, we've done, we've done episodes about food specifically in books in the past. If you, if that really appeals to you and you want to hear more about just like awesome descriptions of food, this book, like food is a central factor and it really made me want to eat Filipino food, even though it's very hard to find in Ohio. Um, it just like, I would be getting so hungry just reading it. So if you're a foodie, this book is also really good for you. I would agree with that. So that was our first pick, The Mango Bride by Marivi Sullivan, and that is out by Berkeley Publishing Group. And we'll be back to discuss our second discussion pick, The Astonishing Color of After, after word from our sponsor. This episode of Reading Women is sponsored by Novellic. Novellic is an app for book clubs and book discovery. It is a free download and free to join or create book clubs. Novellic believes that discussion should really come from the heart. It's about talking and making new friends through the love of books. Many of us have friends who don't necessarily share our taste in books, but now we can connect through Novellic, through creating different book clubs, and we can get even more personal recommendations. So every book on the Novellic app is a book that someone else has read and loved. And so they curate their list of books, not through algorithms or machine learning, but rather through recommendations from one friend to another. And it really helps to kind of create that serendipitous feeling you have when you discover your new favorite author or your new favorite book for the first time. And as Kendra mentioned, they have book clubs, and we recently added a Reading Women book club. So if you are on Novellic, you can 
head over there and see what books we're reading right now and comment and join the discussion with us. Currently, Novellic is on iOS only, but they are planning a lot of new great features throughout the year and plan on having an Android release later in the year. To check for updates or to see what Novellic is up to, you can follow them on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can also provide your suggestions for what you think they should add to new versions of the Novellic app. So to learn more about Novellic and to find your perfect book club, go to novellic.com. That's N-O-V-E-L-L-I-C.com. And of course, all of their information will be in our show notes. And thank you to Novellic for sponsoring this episode of Reading Women. Kendra, do you want to um, talk about your discussion pick? Yes. I'm very excited to gush about this one. Um, and that is <laughs> The Astonishing Color of After by Emily XR Pan. And this is out from Little Brown. And this came out in 2018. And just a heads up, uh, this book does discuss uh, depression and suicide. So just FYI, um, that will be that's part of the book and is will be part of what we talk about today. But yeah, I really love this book as you guys may have guessed from last episode (laughs) yeah so Kendra what drew you to read this book since you don't normally uh read YA yeah I I I guess for me if I pick up YA it's usually fantasy and so the fact that this book was marketed as having a fantastical element to it was like oh okay well this might be a YA contemporary that I could get into and also there was the discussion of you know this biracial girl trying to come to terms with her culture and, and like her background it just sounded really fascinating and I am so glad that you know you know, we read this for this podcast. It gave me incentive to read it because it's just a gorgeous book, um, both inside and out because the design of not just the cover, but the interior, like so, so good. So I thought we could talk a little bit about, um, the main character Lee and her experience, um, as a Taiwanese American girl and being biracial. Um, and one of the places I thought would be great to start is the idea of the difference between uh, biracial versus bicultural. Um, Yeah, so like Kendra said, this book really highlights both biracial elements and bicultural elements. And I feel like at least in the United States, a lot of the time, I think a lot of people think that these two Uh, concepts are the same, or they use them interchangeably. But I feel like this book really highlights uh, the emphasis on bicultural representation rather than biracial. And so the difference between the two will kind of define a little bit. Books with or experiences with bicultural elements are being caught between two cultures. So in the case of Lee in this book, she is caught between both American culture versus Taiwanese culture. So Lee learns about the customs, food, and the landmarks, um, such as uh, temples or markets in Taiwan, being understanding those different cultural elements really makes her tied to her mother after um, after her loss and helps her with her grieving process. In contrast, biracial is kind of being caught between two races. So in this case, Lee is both white and Taiwanese. So her father um, is a white American and um, her mother is uh, Taiwanese. There are a couple parts of this book where Lee is asked by others if she is, the translation is mixed blood, but um, indicating that she is of mixed race. That that kind of plays into not that she's from a different culture, but that she physically is of a different race and um, therefore becomes more of a, of a biracial uh, experience or issue. So 
again, like we said, this book focuses mainly on bicultural issues rather than biracial. So as for me as a biracial person, I was kind of expecting the book to highlight more of race rather than culture. But I was really kind of uh, pleasantly surprised to have those bicultural elements because that's also something that I really experienced. But it's a different type of experience that me as a biracial person has uh, throughout my life. So those are kind of the differences between the two. If anyone has anything else to add, feel free. And I, I think it's really interesting how this plays out in the novel because uh, Lee is not encouraged to embrace her Taiwanese culture by her mother because her mother left Taiwan under uh, having a fight with her parents that she married a white man. And so Lee hasn't been brought up visiting Taiwan, you know, every summer or whatever. She hasn't she hasn't ever met her grandparents, you know, so she's always been separated from that part of her own culture. And so when she goes over to Taiwan to visit her grandparents after her mother dies, she is experiencing this for the first time, you know, have, being surrounded by Taiwanese people and experiencing all this food, not just through her mother's eyes and her mother's perspective as her mother brings it, you know, to the family and, you know, makes Taiwanese food, but she's surrounded by so many different Taiwanese people and culture. And I think that, you know, her processing that was such a huge part of this, this novel. I think one of the most important and impactful parts of this book for me was its emphasis on mental health, specifically depression. Um, I think mental health and depression oftentimes isn't, this topic isn't given the space that it truly deserves. It's very stigmatized and especially very taboo in a lot of Asian cultures. And so the fact that this book exists and talks about depression, especially in a YA novel, to me was a great thing. Like it is the kind of book that I wish I read as a teenager. And so I grew up with close family members who suffer from bipolar disorder. So what this means is that there are highs and the lows and the lows resemble depression essentially. And when you have close family members who suffer from depression or any kind of mental illness, the first kind of instinct you have is to protect that family member. So as a result, a lot of those who have family members that suffer from a mental illness or depression suffer in silence. And if you are depressed yourself, you don't get the help you need because you don't want to out yourself. And so I think a book like this is great to have because it can be a resource for, for readers, especially young readers, to understand how important mental illness is and depression without having to out themselves. And so I think this book is, is a wonderful, wonderful book for two main reasons. If you yourself are suffering from depression or you have a close family member who is suffering from depression or mental illness, it's a great resource to let you know you're not alone. And it's a great resource that doesn't require you to have to out yourself in order for you to utilize this resource. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, I think books like this are important because they destigmatize and they normalize depression and mental illness. The reality is, is that 
anyone can get these illnesses. It doesn't matter your race, your class, whatever, they're ubiquitous. But the thing is, nobody talks about it. And so I really commend authors that go the extra step and bring to light something that often authors shy away from, especially in YA novels. Yeah, I think for me too, like not only does it cover, um, you know, Lee trying to learn more about her mother and talking about her and her father's journey with her mother's uh, mental illness, you know, before she, she passed. And I think this book too, not only covers the mental illness part, but just about grief as well. And I feel like that really hit me um, a lot. Not only, uh, I feel like the mental illness piece was very impactful and very important to explore in the book, but even just the way that she handles grief. And there's a, a lot of instances, this book is very lengthy, which is great because there's so much to really take in. But a lot of the novel, while some of it is in the present day, a lot of it goes um, backwards, whether it was through um, flashbacks that Lee has herself or kind of the fantastical elements where she uses incense to kind of look into the memories of, of other people um, in her family. And I felt like the way that she handled the grief and the way that she uncovers parts of her mother's past that was never kind of communicated to her was very, very uh, brave and something that isn't covered a lot in, in literature and also in YA that I think if you were a person who even was just grieving, you know, felt the loss of a close family member, this would be a really great resource too to have an outlet of someone who's experiencing that as well. Oh, absolutely. I think too, it's important to add to our two points. In addition to it, talking about grief and depression, the book is very hopeful and so it doesn't stop at these important topics. It kind of brings it to light in a way that that still has a hopeful tone and one that's centered on empathy and understanding. And that is what the book is. It's Lee's journey trying to understand her mother. And her mother is all of that. Her mother is a Taiwanese immigrant. Her mother is someone that suffers from depression. And so Lee's just really trying to unearth what her, you know, the identity of her mother and try to gain closeness through this journey. Yeah. And I think it's so important for, you know, teenagers, especially that novels and especially these serious topics end on a hopeful note. And I appreciate that that's what this book does. It doesn't end with her mom committing suicide. That's just the beginning. And that's just the beginning of her coming to terms with that. And also I want to mentioned that, you know, the process of her mom having depression and what that looks like from Lee's perspective is so well portrayed in that, you know, she knows her mom is sick, but her, her parents aren't explaining things to her very well. I mean, her mom can't because, you know, she's very sick, but her dad kind of shuts her out of that. And that hinders her ability to understand, which is partially why she has to go, you know, such to great lengths after her mom passes to try to understand what really happened in her mom's past. And I think it's so important that we are talking to the young people in our lives about what they're, the adults are experiencing and being more open about it. And that's what, you know, what Fran was talking about, you know, removing that stigma and just saying, oh, you know, this is something that your mom experiences and being more, you know, factor like this is just, you know, life. Like it's it Absolutely. Yes. And it's hard to normalize it because it's a lot of times the people that are going through it are the ones that can't put their experience into words. Yeah. 
So books like these are so important, especially for young adults. But, you know, I have experienced close family members who have experienced different things like this and extended family members. And so just having that experience is just, there's no words to describe it unless, you know, you see it on a page where you have experienced it yourself. So I think people who also haven't experienced something like that will be able to come to this book and have a better idea of what maybe someone they love is going through and different things, which is, you know, really important. And I wish I had something like this as a kid to be able to read, to understand what was happening to people in my family. I feel the same. This is the book that I wish I was re- I read when I was much younger. It would have impacted me in a way. I'm, I'm still hit by it as an adult, but as a teenager, I feel like it would have taken a whole different meaning for me. So the last thing I did want to touch on is just a little bit of this novel's sensory experience because uh, Lee is a synesthete say that five times fast. Synesthesia is where two of your senses kind of overlap. So you can taste sound or you can hear color or taste color or whatever. Um, In this particular case, I found it interesting that Lee has colors for her emotions. And so her best friend, who we've barely talked about, but you know, it's more more about Lee anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Um, He will be like, what color? And I keep thinking of Real or not real? Real. Yeah, (laughs) right. Um, But he will ask her what color, and it's what color are her feelings at the time. And I found that such an interesting way to express her feelings Um, and the way that she also combines, like, the describing experiences and that style. I was worried that it would become gimmicky or something, but um, it really really worked out, and it's just uh, so good. Yeah, I agree. I I almost felt when she was describing um, her art, I almost wanted to see it. <laughs> like it it just uh, as she describes um, her art throughout the book, I felt like because the you know pieces of color and what she's working on her sketches and how she even just passes the time by by doing sketches of what's right in front of her, I really wanted to to see it and experience it because it I'm just felt just very vivid and beautiful as I was reading it. There are cool design pieces at the beginning of each chapter, and it kind of tells you, like, are you in the past? Are you in the present? And the way that visual element is used throughout the book plays with the concepts that are happening um, in Lee's art um, and uh, different things like that. And the style, the writing of this book is just so unique. And I think one of the most difficult things is to maintain a style throughout, you know, a longer novel and pan does this and this this is her debut novel right right yeah i think so i i just can't even like how is someone so talented that this is their first book i a lot of the times i go into books and it's like it's kind of strange but i go into books not knowing too much about them if i've just heard a lot of people that i trust recommend it i will literally just pick it up and not know anything (laughs) about it and all i knew about this book was that there was a biracial protagonist and that it is beautifully written and i was just blown away by the amount of care is taken on discussing mental illness and grief but also just how illustrative the book was and i just I flew through it. it, even though I think it's over like 100, 400 pages, I believe. Um, I think I read it in a couple days just because it was such an awesome experience. And I listened to the audio, which is narrated by Stephanie Sue. And 
she did an amazing job of narrating the different parts and just, I don't know, I feel like sometimes it just clicks. Like a, a great narrator that's perfectly paired with the book enhances the text. It, it makes it seem so more alive and real so that you're experiencing it through multiple senses, whether it be sight and sound or whatever you're doing. And um, she did an amazing job. Just all the stars. Yes. Pick up this book, please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pick up both the books, but yeah. <laughs> I've had this book on my shelf for a really long time because it dealt, I knew that it featured a protagonist that was dealing with a parent who was suffering from depression. But for whatever reason, I didn't pick it up until now. And Kendra, I'm so glad you picked this and finally forced me <laughs> to read this book. And now that I have, I'm really wondering why I hadn't picked it up sooner. I was the same way. I had yes. it on my shelf for the longest time. People people kept saying, I kept seeing it on Bookstagram and people kept telling me like, hey, you should really read this book. And yeah, until Kendra picked it as a discussion pick, part of me, it's sometimes it's a length. <laughs> like usually when someone recommends like a really long, awesome book, I get very intimidated by the size because I'm like, oh, am I going to be reading this for weeks? But then the person is ultimately right. And I finish it in a couple of days and I'm like, oh, what took me so long <laughs> to reading this book? And I felt like that's how I felt about this one. I was like, I should have picked this up months ago. <laughs> the length is deceiving. Because yeah, it it's is. It's not a hard book to read. It's very relatable. It's very, you know, she recreates her experiences and you're kind of there with her as she travels and tries to recreate her memories of her mother. And I loved the book. And so, Kendra, thank you. Yes, thank <laughs> you, Kendra. For getting me to read this. <laughs> well, I'm just as excited. It's obviously, we all love this book and I feel like now that there are YA contemporaries out there for me like you just haven't read the right one yet it's kind of like I suspect it's sort of like romance novels if you don't like romance novels you just haven't found the right one yet you know <laughs> yeah there's all kinds out there <laughs> um, and this is just a gorgeous book and I'm just gonna stalk um, you know Emily's Instagram and be like okay when's your next book coming out <laughs> what's what's coming next <laughs> yeah, more of this and less of the YA that's just purely romance or about survival where people are divided into factions like we need more of this like more mental health awareness you know grief like real stuff that teenage teenagers deal with because teenagers are not worried about fighting clans. <laughs> yeah, right. This is, this is what we need. So that was The Astonishing Color of After by Emily XR Pan, and that is out from Little Brown. And that's our show. If you haven't yet, please leave us a review in your podcast app of choice. And thanks to all of you who have already done so. And many thanks to our patrons for whose support makes this podcast possible. Um, to subscribe to our newsletter or to learn more about becoming one of our patrons, visit us at readingwomenpodcast.com. Uh, and also many thanks to Fran for coming on and discussing these books with us. Uh, you can find her on Instagram at a quiet nook. Join us next time where Jacqueline, Kendra, and Autumn will be talking about books around the theme of working class stories for Reading Women Month. Yay, Reading Women Month. I'm so excited. Yeah, this is your birthday month. And it's like truly a full month that you guys really celebrate it, which is awesome. Um, in the meantime, you can find Reading Women on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. You can find Kendra at Katie Winchester and me on Instagram at Sachi Reads. And thanks for listening to Reading Women. 